Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the Get air. The if Greg and I are the Beauty and the Beast of radio, today we're joined by our rock and roll counterparts. I'm Jim DeRogatis from Vocalo.org. And I'm Greg Cotta of the Chicago Tribune. We're joined by the duo of Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan in the studio. And we're going to review new records by Destroyer and the North Mississippi All-Stars. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. Now it's time for some music news. That is a song that you are probably hearing everywhere you go these days. That is Grenade, the number one pop song in the country by one Bruno Mars, a 25-year-old pop star. He's in the news for more than just having the top charting hit in the country. He is also, at the time of this recording, ready to plead guilty in a Las Vegas courtroom for possessing cocaine. He is about to uh, plead guilty and receive probation in return, a $2,000 fine, performing 200 hours of community service, and attend drug counseling. This is big news, Jim, because we have a young performer here who is being positioned as kind of a kid-friendly entertainer. It's one thing for a gangster rapper like T.I. to get locked up or, or Keith Richards to brag about his drug use. But we've got an entertainer here in Bruno Mars who has appeared not only on Saturday Night Live, but Ellen DeGeneres. His songs have been featured in Glee. He's been on Letterman, a featured performer on the Today Show. Well, well, moms love him, and the girls in the back of the SUV love him. (laughs) He's bridging the generation gap. Exactly. And what a year he's had. This Hawaiian-born, Los Angeles-based, 25-year-old singer 
has had hits with B.O.B., Nothing on You. He co-wrote Travis McCoy's big hit, Billionaire. He co-wrote CeeLo Green's Forget You, another big R&B hit. He had a hit himself with the ballad Just the Way You Are, and as we just said, Grenade at the top of the charts. And about to get a windfall of Grammys, it looks like, as well. So this is an interesting twist. It'll be fascinating to see how Bruno Mars is perceived after these charges come to light. All I can see is black and white and white and pink with lids of blue that live between the words I think on a pitch. I was meaning to sell, but you I couldn't tell that to bring my art the way I wanted when I started writing this letter to you. But if I could, you know, I would just hold your hand and you'd understand. I'm the man who loves you. Those are the much-beloved Chicago rockers, Wilco. Greg, you know a thing or three about that band. In fact, a centerpiece of the book you wrote about them, Learning How to Die, was about their battle with the major label system back at the turn of the century. 2001, they had made what remains, according to many fans, the album of their career, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and the Warner Brothers Corporate Empire, the reprise label in particular, didn't hear a hit, wouldn't put it out. It languished. It was really one of the first big internet phenomena. People were loving it, trading it on the internet, but it had no official release until a year later when, after this big to-do of them having been dropped by reprise, they're signed by Nunsuch, a different label <laughs> under the Warner Corporate Empire. Mm-hmm. They've been recording for Nunsuch ever since, but now they have left that label and are doing what many people thought they should have done back in 2001 forming their own record company, DBPM Records. Wilco will now be a self-contained entity putting out its own music distributed by the anti-records label. And Jeff Tweedy, the band leader in Wilco, had just produced that Mavis Staples record that came out on the uh, anti-label. It's an interesting turn. It's going to be based in Massachusetts, where their manager lives, where they've been doing that Solid Sound Festival. They're going to do a second one this year, did the first last year. News on the Wilco front. That, of course, is Goldfinger, the signature soundtrack song from the famous James Bond movie back in the 60s. The composer of that song, John Barry, died recently at the age of 77. We're celebrating John Barry because of not only those Bond soundtracks, but his influence on pop music in general. Of course, those Bond soundtracks were iconic, Jim. I mean, especially his association with the singer Shirley Bassey. He recruited her to sing those soundtracks. It was a perfect match. Those minor key melodies combined with those brassy orchestrations, the boldness of those orchestrations, the drama inherent in them. As The Guardian in the U.K. said, that was as much the sound of mid-60s swinging London as The Beatles or anyone else. Absolutely. When you think about James Bond, you think about those songs and and those soundtracks, and Barry defined them in a way unlike very few soundtrack composers of his era. And his work was hugely influential, beyond the fact that he won five Oscars and a Grammy and and scored all those Bond films. His music was picked up by a lot of latter-day bands. For example, he exerted, I think, a huge influence on the lounge exotica movement that flourished in the 90s, and also in countless post-rock bands uh, from Tortoise to Pram were picking up on some of his orchestrations. If you listen to a contemporary U.K. 
composer, mixer, producer like Mark Ronson. He modeled some of his work with Amy Winehouse on what Barry was doing with Shirley Bassey back in the 60s. And of course, Kanye West. I mean, where would Diamonds from Sierra Leone be without Diamonds Are Forever? But to send John Barry out in style, I think for me, his central work was one of his not quite so famous movie soundtracks. It's certainly not as famous as the Bond soundtracks, which is certainly are iconic. But I loved the work he did on Midnight Cowboy, the 1969 John Schlesinger movie starring Dustin Hoffman and John Voight. A melancholy, some would say despairing, downcast movie with this beautiful soundtrack attached to it. In fact, one of the first movies where songs were specifically chosen to play during certain scenes to help enhance the mood. In other words, it wasn't just background music, but the music was an effective part of the narrative, the plot line in this movie. And, and Barry played a big role in it, and central to it all was the instrumental soundtrack from Midnight Cowboy. Here it is in tribute to John Barry, dead at the age of 77, on Sound Opinions. is the theme from Midnight Cowboy in tribute to its composer, John Barry, dead at the age of 77. Stumble and I fall The time is on my side Don't make sense of it all Despite my foolish pride It's got me on my knees Tearing up my heart I'm shaking at my bones Tearing me apart I can't get Close to you I come undone You're listening to Sound Opinions and that is Come Undone by our guests this week Mark Lanigan and Isabel Campbell. Lanigan's perhaps best known as the vocalist in the Screaming Trees, great band that broke out of the grunge scene in the Pacific Northwest in the early 90s. He's also worked with Queens of the Stone Age and Greg Dooley and the Gutter Twins. And then we have Isabel Campbell, previously best known for her work with the Scottish pop group Bell and Sebastian, and since then has released a number of solo records. Then you have this successful parent, Lanigan and Campbell together. They've made three records, the latest being Hawk in 2010. An unlikely collaboration because you've got this Lanigan guy with this gravelly baritone voice and Campbell with this kind of light, wispy tone, but it works. When the duo joined us in the studio recently, I began by asking Isabel Campbell about her departure from Belle and Sebastian. Close to you, come undone. 
let's start with how everything got started here for you, Isabel, post Bell and Sebastian. You left that band. I'm curious as to did you feel in any way limited there in terms of the kind of music you wanted to make? Is that why you sort of ventured out on your own? Yeah, I was making. I think I was my third solo record, and it was just too difficult to try and keep the two things going. You had started making solo records even while you were in Bell and Sebastian. Yeah. And was it a case of just not feeling like you could get all your ideas out? Absolutely, yeah. I just, I mean, I, I love that band. I, I still do. But yeah, I just needed to kind of do follow my own path, really. People don't realize, I mean, you were, I, I guess it would be considered a classical training, right? I mean, well, you had some pretty serious musician chops early on, right? Yeah. Well, no, when I was a child, I started with piano lessons. I kind of begged my family for them. And mm-hmm. after a while of not, you know, I was kind of nagging them, and they said, "Okay, this is not a phase of fad." So, <laughs> so they got started with that, and then at school, the cello teacher came round, and she was playing—I think she was playing the Swan—to the class, and I, I thought it was really amazing. So, the cello, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so, <laughs> that's not your traditional instrument that a kid just sort of picks up and says, "Oh, I'm going to learn that," because no. it's usually bigger than most average kids. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really loved it, and you know, so then was playing in like local orchestras. So you you you're on this path. Did you ever feel like okay, I'm going to end up playing classical music or? Mm, no, not really. I mean, my dad was my dad had all his like records from the 60s and 70s, and I had an idea what I always wanted to do. I just didn't know if I would be able to do it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, rock critics love to drop this name as a reference point: Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood. But but it's interesting that you flipped the script. You're really driving this project, Isabel. And, and Mark, if Nancy Sinatra was the beauty that the beastly Lee Hazelwood employed, <laughs> you're the beauty in this combination as the voice that uh, that Isabel is, is putting to work. I want to talk more about that in a minute. But just tell us, before we hear your first song, how you guys met. Um, a guy I used to date, I was looking for like a baritone singer. And um, Jonathan said, oh, he, you know, he'd been a... He was a Screaming Trees fan, and he, he said, you should ask Mark Lanigan. And so he played me a song, and I thought, well, I'll send this off. And, you know, didn't really expect to hear anything back from him. So you didn't really know Mark at all? No, I was really uncool. I was pretty square. I didn't even, like, I think I knew Nirvana as, like, hit. But, like, you know, the hip the hip kids at school, they were they knew all the grunge stuff, but... I was listening to the Beatles and the Kinks. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mark, what was your reaction when you get this uh, missive from across the sea from Glasgow? I was actually on that side of the ocean when I got it, but um, mm. I, I was uh, pleased because I was a fan of her uh, solo records, the Gentle Waves records. I was really into them, and um, I thought it was a really cool piece of music. And, and then when I met her, it was, you know. And you only ever have like five or six projects going at one time. You said, "Sure, why not?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was. Uh, this was one I was really happy to do. Excellent. You you want to give us a song? Yeah. Is it from Hawk, the new album? Yeah. Called uh, "Time of the Season." Excellent. Went out and to really up the situation. 
Grandpa's gonna kick the man Some angel have been praying for salvation Cast don't believe in Santa Claus Paid any clouds Not me all deceiving And peace and love's all around This time of the season Senses reeling In your embrace I found my place Outside it's freezing I will love you most of all This time of the season I tracked you down to London town Met you at the station was Time of the Season by Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan live on Sound Opinions. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more with Isabel and Mark. And later on, Greg and I will review the new albums by indie popsters Destroyer and the blues revivalists, the North Mississippi All-Stars. Sunrise, whisper in my ear, see the words I long to 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that song is Black Mountain by today's guests, Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan. From Lanigan's history with the bands like the Screaming Trees, the Gutter Twins, and Queens of the Stone Age, you might expect that he's the dominant player in this unexpected duo. But it's really Isabel Campbell, formerly of Bell and Sebastian, who takes the lead with the songwriting and the production. As we return to our conversation, I wanted to ask Isabel about her reputation as a bit of a taskmaster. Okay, so Isabel, I'm going to ask you. Now, you have this reputation, despite being so pleasant, of being a bit of a perfectionist control freak, which you've owned up to. I've seen in numerous reviews. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what's happening. I just can't help myself. <laughs> so you have this strong vision for the way you want these songs I have to sound. A strong vision, and it ends up punishing myself sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone, some other people too. So, have the recordings of these records you guys have made have they been tortured, or has it been an overall pleasure? Like, when does the stress come in beforehand? Are these songs up to it, or is it in the recording process? Or well, the best time for me is when I'm actually writing the songs because. Nobody is corrupting them, like, um, <laughs> to be honest. I'm just in my kitchen, all safe and cozy, and I'm just like, it's like a crossword puzzle to me or something that I really love. But yeah, stress comes in a lot. I mean, the first record, Ballad of the Broken Seas, you know, that was, we probably, Mark and I probably consulted with each other least on that. Hmm. And for some reason, it must have just meant to be because... It turned out pretty good. Second record, I felt in my I had a pain in my belly the whole time because people, a lot of people really liked the first record and I was really worried, thinking, oh, you know, this, this might suck. And yeah. then everyone will say, yeah, the first record, that was good. But it's been all downhill. Yeah, the, yeah, so that was going on. The third one, I just worked really hard. I wasn't even thinking about sucking or anything. <laughs> just working hard. Mark, do you have empathy for uh, Isabel uh, when she's uh, going through this stuff? Uh, what, what kind of a partner are you in this musical collaboration? Uh, I do have empathy for her, and I'm, but I'm glad it's her going through it and not me. <laughs> yeah. Part of the reason I'm so attracted to this project is the fact that I'm such a big fan of her music, the songs she writes, production, all that stuff. And in everything else that I'm doing, I'm usually, you know, involved in the writing, production, all that stuff. And here I just can take that out of the equation and completely trust her and, and just sing the songs, and that's great. How much input do you have in when you see 
the, the songs. Is there a lyric that you'll give a twist to or say, no, nah, I really don't see myself singing that? I mean, is there any of that going back and forth? Occasionally, but it's very, very rare. I mean, there's been the odd time when there was something that didn't feel, you know, right. But again, part of the another part of the reason I'm attracted to this is it takes me to a place I wouldn't normally go sometimes, and that's, you know, a great thing. Mm-hmm. I love that idea, Mark. I mean, you know, your your solo albums... Are, are phenomenal, all the work you've done in bands, in different collaborations. And here, you're willing to subsume your ego and just be a tool. Say it, Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> Use me. Put me to work. An instrument, I guess. But that's, you know, for someone you know who's accomplished as much as you have, that's, that's a brave thing to do, to stretch as a musician and say, just, you know, put me to work and I'll fill what you need. Well, if, if you say so. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really rewarding in ways that the other things I, I do aren't necessarily do you have to understand the motivation will you ask isabel like what do you mean here or what's this character trying to do do you need to know any of that stuff or you just go at it i I just go at it you know i try and inhabit the the tune as best i can and sometimes they uh, reveal themselves to me much much later and that's another gift of doing it and Isabel, do you ever sort of coach mark at all in terms of well that's not what how i meant or I, how I envision that part being sung. What's your input in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. how the performance is? Sometimes, not too much. Usually, just put the microphone up and, um, you know, maybe like oh, because sometimes when I sing, I'm so quiet. So sometimes he's like backing off, and I'm like oh, can. But you, you know, usually I'm, we do like a, about sixteen takes of a vocal or, or something, and say <laughs> so we'll try it this time harder, and then I kind of. I'm piecing it all together and, you know, with my instinct, trying to pick out the lines where that I, I, I love the phrasing the best. Mm-hmm. So we have quite a lot of um, unspoken. We just get on with things mm. unspoken, which is easy. That, well, that's nice, you know. I'm starting to get where the perfectionist uh, attitude comes in. That's what I was going to say. 16 takes. Is, <laughs> yeah, that's perfection. Well, like, okay, Mark, that was pretty good, but let's, let, let's try one more. Huh? Well, every day is different. You know, we can do like maybe six takes one day, and I'm like, mm, but what will it sound like today? Because every, you know, someone's tired, if there's a basketball game on, you know, it could, be, <laughs> like, it could many different, you know, or I'm thinking, ah, oh, different things all the time. Well, let's hear another song. We're here in the studio with uh, Mark Lanigan, Isabel Campbell, and the band. What are you going to play? It's a snake song. Excellent. Sleep. 
That is Snake Song on Sound Opinions from Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan. Uh, Jeff adding some really cool slide guitar on there. What about that song, Snake Song? Mm-hmm. Uh, Towns Van Zandt, right? Yeah. And you've gone to the Towns Van Zandt well a few times. What is it about Towns Van Zandt that uh, makes you want to perform his songs? Well, at first, it took a while, but then when I was writing a lot of the songs in him, in Tucson, in the start of 2009, I was, it was probably like the f- first time off I'd had in a long time. I just, everything kind of just slipped into place with him. I totally fell in love with the songs and his honesty and the beauty of it, really. Looking at the big sky and Arizona mm. goes really nicely. Yeah, he's not exactly super well-known. People like Steve Earle have championed him. Steve Earle's famous comment was, I'll stand on uh, Bob Dylan's coffee table in my cowboy boots and tell, tell him that Towns Van Zandt's the best songwriter of the last 30 years. <laughs> wow, he's got nerve. Yeah. Steve's been trying to live that quote down forever. We had him on. It's almost about. as bad as we were as big as Jesus or something. Yeah. It's like, pray. But, but you find yourself needing to reach for the hyperbole to describe the brilliance of Van Zandt because he isn't that well-known. And, and it seems to me that, that everybody who does love him so passionately is a songwriter. Uh, He's the songwriter, songwriter. Yeah, that happens. I, I was curious, the collaborative approach that you two take. Isabel, did you see this as going three albums deep when, when you first started working with Mark? Did you? Because it's interesting to me that you've had the solo career and now it's basically been three albums worth of, of collaborative albums. What, did you envision that as, as that kind of a, a relationship, a partnership when, when it first started? Well, after the first record, I didn't think I would hear from Mark again. Like, he went off radar for a while, and I thought, probably not. But then I was kind of obsessed with his voice. Um, so I was like, mm. it was weird. Like, I finished Ballad of the Broken Seas, and then I wrote a couple of songs, and I was like, oh. It would be so great if he would sing them. And I hadn't been speaking to him, but part of me knew that he would appear again. Mm. And, <laughs> and he did. But I, I didn't really know that it would go for three records. Do you see it as a trilogy, or would you li- guys like to continue collaborating down the road? Well, I think we'll always check in with each other every mm-hmm. every now and then. and. We both, I think we both, that's another thing. People are always saying, oh, you know, they're so such an odd couple, you know. It's really nice <laughs> of them to say that. We're, they're such an odd couple, but we really have that in common. We, There's nothing I like more than collaborating with people. So, yeah, we'll still do stuff. Mark, would you indulge us with a question or two about what's going on in your life? Uh, certainly. Another solo album? What else is in the works for uh, Mark Lanigan? I'm actually starting one when we get done here, mm-hmm. but starting one and finishing one are <laughs> <laughs> two different things for right, me. Right. So, but yeah, I'm beginning one, hopefully sometime next year. The solo albums have been terrific. You've also done some great work with uh, Queens of the Stone Age. you see that going back with them at all at any point? or? You know, I just, just did a show with them right before we started this, and um, you know, we're still great friends. So, One of the things I, I love about Screaming Trees is uh, unique for the class of, of the 90s that you came up with. Each album was better. And group ends in 2000. We're in the midst of cash-in <laughs> nostalgia fever. The Pixies tour, they played it 10 times the crowds that they ever did back in the days. And Pavement's back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Was there ever the temptation to revisit that? 
Not not really. I mean, I have nothing but love for those guys, and, and I'm you know, not ashamed of the music that we made. I'm happy that it exists, but I, I'm also happy with my life the way it is now, and I, I don't see any reason to go backwards. A lot of a lot of Screaming Trees fans will be bummed to hear that, but uh, it was it was a great legacy. And we have the records. Yeah, exactly. We're going to hear another song from Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan on Sound Opinions. Uh, Isabel, what are we going to hear next? Hank Williams, a rambling man. All right. Excellent.
Rambling Man, Hank Williams Classic by Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan. Isabel Campbell, Mark Lanigan, and Ben, thank you so much for being on Sound Opinions. Thank you. Thank you. You saw your soul when you drank the morning too. Down on your luck and so thirsty through and through. The crack in the mirror tells of seven years of pain. And you won't let me to listen to Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan's complete live performance and watch video of the duo in the studio, visit soundopinions.org. To share any of your sound opinions, call 888-859-1800. When we return on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, Jim and I are going to review the new album by Dan Behar and his band Destroyer. I lose you in the rain So you won't let me down again Aeroplane, aeroplane Race across the fields Taking me onwards Further from the deals You thought I was a weaker man Give up without a sound I was poor in love, I was poor in wealth I was okay in everything else there was Oh, I was poor in love I was poor in love Welcome back to Sound Opinions. You're listening to a song called Poor in Love by the band Destroyer from the new album Kaput. Who is Destroyer? Basically, Dan Behar. Yep. He has been working on and off under that moniker since uh, about 1995. Vancouver-based at the time, singer, songwriter, pop musician. Big in the indie world for the last decade at least, better known as a member of the New Pornographers. That superstar combo that pairs him with Carl Newman and lots of other people who come and go, including vocalist Nico Case. Newman really kind of runs the new pornographers, and Behar only appears at certain times on stage and on a handful of songs, if you're lucky, per new pornographers album. People who love that band say it's not really a new pornographer show unless you have both Nico and Behar on stage, and that doesn't happen much. Other people say, no, 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 no. Nine albums into their career, Destroyer is really the vehicle where Dan Behar shines. We'll give our opinions on that in a minute, but first I think we should hear a tune from album number nine from Behar's Destroyer. This is the title track, Kaput, K-A-P-U-T-T, on Sound Opinions. Wasting your days, chasing some girls, or I chasing cocaine to the back rooms of the world all night. 
Wasting your days Chasing some girls All right Chasing cocaine Through the back rooms Of the world all That is the title song from Destroyer's ninth album, Kaput, Dan Behar, as Jim mentioned. That, it's his baby. He's been all over the map on those nine albums. He's explored everything from David Bowie-like art rock, orchestral pop, folk, punk. Jim, I did not see this one coming in terms yeah, of the yeah. sound that he's going for. There's kind of a, an 80s pop sheen, you know, elements of smooth jazz, gauzy lounge music. Stuff that I generally don't like. Some of the reference points, I'm thinking some of those 80s solo records by Donald Fagan of Steely Dan. Some of those Brian Ferry post-Roxy music records. Really? I'm, I'm hearing more lame cure. <laughs> more new romantic or, or like ABC or something. But I, I'll tell you the one reference point that I heard and that really unlocked the record for me was a band out of Scotland called The Blue Nile that made a 1989 album called Hats that, to me, gave me an indication of where Behar was coming from. What Blue Nile did on on their 89 record was kind of a clinic in in their ability to get warmth out of these pastel colors. And I think that's what Behar is doing here as well. If you listen to what he's saying lyrically, I think he's a very inventive vocalist. You know, it's a take-it-or-leave-it proposition for a lot of people. But for me, the lyrics really work in tandem with this music. The music seems kind of pastel and backgroundy, and yet there's a lot of tension in what he's saying about. He's talking about relationships. He's talking about breakups. He's talking about self-loathing. That tension really makes this record work for me. And at the end of the day, I was kind of pulled in. After about the eighth, ninth, tenth listen, I found that he'd sort of created his own little world here and was operating in a really different and kind of almost brave way. I don't hear anything else quite like this, and I'm not sure this was the album anybody expected from Behar, but I'll have to give it a bite. It surprised me. I don't like all of his work, but this album really pulled me in. Wow. Well, you know, at the beginning of the day, I was extremely put off by this record, like you. And at the end of the day, I was even more put (laughs) off than I was at the beginning. I'm sorry. I don't know why anybody deserves to put out nine records and to be as mediocre and spotty as Dan Behar. If I really had the time and the energy, I could go through these nine albums and pull the songs out that stood up, much as Newman must do for the new pornographers. Mm. The guy has some talent, but he can't edit himself. And the number of uh, downright 
obscure homages to I'm going to make a couple of songs now that sound exactly like Blue Nile and another song that sounds exactly <laughs> like a particular period of Cure and one that sounds like ABC. I mean, geez, come on. It's not worth the effort. I, I don't know what turned you around and the lyrics. You're, you're praising the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, the guy is like Oscar Wilde on speed and cut up and, and repasted. I kind of like him, though. I, I do like him. And, and what's the matter? Don't you like the muted trumpet? <laughs> no, I don't like the muted trumpet. I don't like the pastel you're hearing. <laughs> if you're saying this is a buy it, I've got to go with the trash it. Pray tell my brother Where you heading? Where you going this morning? Where you heading? I tell you, my brother, headed up to the meeting. I'm going to the meeting on the other side. Stand up and walk on. It's the beginning of the end. Not a question of whether or not. It's a question of when. Come on, I'm going to the meeting. That is a new song from the North Mississippi All-Stars, The Meeting, with the voice of Mavis Staples guesting on that track. The new album is called Keys to the Kingdom. The North Mississippi All-Stars, exactly where they come from, the rolling hills of North Mississippi. You compare their style of blues, and they, in fact, are steeped in the blues. Their style is born from that hill country sound, which is different from the Mississippi Delta sound. The Mississippi Delta blues sound was the one that came north. Most people recognize it from the south side and west side bar scene of Chicago, more chord-based music. The North Mississippi sound, that's what these guys play, more trancey, hanging on one chord for 20 minutes, writing uh, songs based around that very modal-type sound, a more of a primitive groove that these guys have developed. They're steeped in this culture because of their father, Jim Dickinson. We paid tribute to Jim when he died in 2009. He is one of the great thinkers, producers, musicians that the South has ever produced. And a wonderful storyteller. Absolutely. Producer of Big Star, Alex Chilton, The Replacements, Mud Honey, collaborator with the Rolling Stones, Rye Cooter, Bob Dylan. He did it all. His sons, Luther and Cody, are the core of the North Mississippi All-Stars, along with their friend Chris Chu. They began recording about a decade ago, paying tribute to the music of their father and of the culture of North Mississippi region, working with regional artists like Otha Turner. Luther went on to play some guitar with the Black Crows on tour. Now the band got back together again to make this record in the wake of their father's death. And this can be heard, Jim, I think, as a tribute very much to their late father. We're going to play a track from it first, and then we're going to review it. Here's a song called New Orleans Walking Dead from the North Mississippi All-Stars and their new album, Keys to the Kingdom, on Sound Opinions.
That is New Orleans Walking Dead by the North Mississippi All-Stars on Sound Opinions. Greg, you and I were huge fans of this trio early on. We have been advocating for a long time. We wished that there was a blues band that actually connected with the gutsy roots of the blues without doing it as shtick. These guys were the real deal. They were authentic blues, but there was a rock and roll sensibility. That having been said, I think it was a process of diminishing returns on record for them. Each one, literally, I liked each one that came out about a third less than the Mm -hmm. one that preceded it until I got to a point in in the last few releases where I didn't care about the North Mississippi All-Stars on record anymore. I think that the collaboration of Luther with the Black Crows, that is not a good thing. (laughs) Not a good thing for anybody. And meanwhile, they were tapping into that Bonnaroo jam band crowd and losing their identity, becoming all about the long jams and not about recording. The really wonderful thing about Keys to the Kingdom, this new album, along with the deep emotion of a set of originals, it must be said, except for one Dylan cover, inspired by their father. They are kind of setting this album of new songs up as the process of grieving, the shock, the pain, and then the coming to terms all fairly heavy messages about dad, but but with an often celebratory sound, mm-hmm. whether it's the gospel of the Mavis track we heard or that really kind of, you know, rollicking tune we just listened to. It's showing us that there's a depth to the Dickinson brothers as songwriters, and they've just been doing the jam thing on stage for a long time. I'm happy to hear it, and I hope that it inspires them to go on and make the sort of records that their dad made at his best, to get back to the kind of stuff they did on the debut. On the Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale, I'd say it's a buy it. Jim, I would agree with you. This band a decade ago was one of my absolute favorites. I thought they were—they had so much promise. In a lot of ways, never really lived up to it. But now they're back. I think this album rejuvenated them in a way that was totally unexpected. And out of a tragic story, a beautiful thing was born, and that was this album. I noticed how they brought in some of their father's favorite musicians and singers. You know, Mavis Staples, Rye Cooter, Spooner Oldham, to yeah. guest on this record in key spots filling out what is a, as you said, a journey. It starts out in this angry place, comes to this acceptance of mortality, and at the end, they're celebrating. It's that New Orleans funeral march Mm -hmm. vibe, you know? What I love about it, too, is the fact that they didn't manicure this record. It sounds very much like a live recording. You know, they let some of that rawness bleed in through the edges so that the songs don't feel too fussed over. And Cody Dickinson, I think, is a secret weapon here. He's a, he's a terrific drummer playing exactly what these songs need. I love this record. It's the best thing they've done since the debut. Buy it all the way. So a double buy it for the North Mississippi All-Stars. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Next week, Jim, one of our annual Valentine's Day specials. We're going to look at songs about unrequited love. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. We'd like to thank Drew Bodger for engineering Isabel Campbell and Mark Lanigan. And our producers, Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. They are kind of like the Nancy Sinatra, Lee Hazelwood, or Serge Gainsbourg, Jane Birkin of this team. Which means that our executive producer, our fearless leader, Tori Southside Malatia, he's the Bridget Bordeaux. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages.
Hi, Jim and Greg. I'm Kate. I listen to your show on WNC in Raleigh, North Carolina. I just listened to the piece that you did on the year 1991, and I wanted to tell you how amazing I thought it was. Um, I was 13 in 1981, and I've always claimed it as the year that I started to have musical taste, and it was just mind-blowing this Saturday afternoon to hear all of that music again, first of all, and then to have my nostalgia, like a moment in my personal history, put into the context of a moment in larger cultural history. So thanks a lot for that. Bye. Hi, guys. My name is Eric from Chicago. I just wanted to say great show. That really took me back. I was 12 years old in 1991, um, and I had no critical biases, so I was drinking in from everything going on. Your discussion of shoegazer music, I just wanted to point out Swerve Driver definitely deserved a mention in there. Their single, Son of Mustang Ford, pretty sure predates both Loveless and Nirvana Breaking Big, and that sucker rocks. Anyway, thank you very much for an excellent show. Good work. Hey guys, what's up? My name is Nick. I'm from Chicago. I just listened to the show about 1991, and I have to say it happened again. What about the Smashing Pumpkins and Gish? Nevermind and Gish came out on the same day and overshadowed it the first time, but I thought maybe, 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 maybe it wouldn't happen again 20 years later, but that's okay. I may be the only one who appreciates Gish for what it is. And Billy Corgan is truly, truly gifted. Hey guys, Mike from Franklin, Tennessee here. I just wanted to thank you for the honesty and review of the new Wanda Jackson, Jack White project. Unfortunately, down here in Nashville, it's been a bit of the emperor's new clothes, and no one really wants to say the truth. I had a great respect for both Wanda and Jack, but let's admit it, the project just didn't work. So thanks again for your review. Keep up the good work, guys. Oh, my bills are all due, and the baby needs shoes, because I'm busted. To a quarter a pound, but I'm 
no more messages. To give us your opinions on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with more Sound Opinions, produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.